He buys carrots at the grocery store. You don't buy carrots at the grocery store. <laughs> buy carrots at the farmer's market. If they're not at the farmer's market, they're not in season. You don't eat them. Say, kid, what do you want to be when you grow uh. up? <laughs> do, 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 da. Say, kid. What do you want? What do you want to be? What do you want to be when you grow up? Say, 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 say. What do you want? When you grow up, grow up. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Becoming, Becoming a, a Doctor. Doctor. <laughs> a podcast where two fourth-year medical students. Talk about the only thing that we ever talk about. Medical school. Eh, 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 eh. I'm your host. There we go. Medical school. (laughs) I'm your host, Santana Sanchez. And I'm your co-host, Kevin Gale. Uh, And you can check out this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, at becomingadoctorpod.com, and... On Twitter, at Becoming a Doc Pod. All the spots. Now, Santana, right before we hopped on this thing, you said, we're in a time crunch, right? Time crunch. Tell yep. me why. I got a hard out <laughs> at 3.20 Pacific Standard Time. Uh, I got to be off pod. Yeah, off pod. So let's keep this high and tight. What's that the phrase? So, uh, so far, we're I think it's a type of a, haircut. A very slow. All right, so let's go. Here we go! <laughs> Segment number one. Guess what it is, Santana? Becoming a Doctor Week? Becoming a Doctor Week. I forgot that... Remember how this whole podcast started? Uh, yes. I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> we're, we're, we are forced to go to four uh, mandatory weeks. That the med- medical school puts on, and it's supposed to teach us. We have the us- privilege to go to. Oh them. yeah, for the privilege to go, it's they're supposed to be teaching us how to like grow up and become a doctor, right? Right. How to mm-hmm. like sleep, get hygiene better. How to interact yes. with patients better. Yes. How to difficult uh, navigate like structural racism in medicine, right? All these kind of broad topics. So broad. After the second week. Where like there's a better way to do the assignment. It was going to be either a thousand word essay or any artistic thing. And yes. So was it my idea or your idea? I don't know. To be <laughs> honest, we just instead of writing an essay, we decided to record a podcast. We had Charlie Reznikov, Doctor Charlie Reznikov, the OG yes. guest, friend of the pod, and he talked about it. So this is my official assignment. If there's any ever a dean or admin or doctor listening to this podcast. This counts as my essay. <laughs> Mark yes. it down. Give me full points. This also counts as my essay because yep. I will be submitting <laughs> this... two assignments because I was absent for becoming a doctor. Exactly. It's going to work out perfect because you were gone. I was there. So I'm going to tell you about it, the highs and the lows. I can't wait. What do you want first, Santana? The highs or the lows? <laughs> We do like a sandwich, you know, like when you're getting yeah, a low high good, a low high good sandwich. No problem, I can do that for you. Sure. (laughs) Okay, here's my first low of the week. Becoming okay. First off, (laughs) 
let me put this in a general sense. You have known me way too long. Would you yeah, a couple years. Would you describe would you describe what my general opinion of school-made curriculum is? <laughs> uh, in general, Kevin's opinion of school-made curriculum is that it needs to be burned <laughs> every, to, uh, to ashes, every, and then those ashes need to be flushed down the toilet. <laughs> the toilet, yeah. Every time I sit through another school lecture, I'm like, oh, no! <laughs> and the end of the week, I'm like, This week was no exception, dude. And I want to give you an example, a specific example of what I'm talking about. Do you okay. remember becoming a doctor one, becoming a doctor week two? This is becoming a doctor week through three. Do you yep. remember the Minnesota arc? It's the psychiatric psychiatric arc of interview. We studied it week one. We studied it week two. We studied it again week three. So I didn't attend week one because I was... <laughs> Perfect. And I, I was busy. I didn't attend week two. So between the three of us, we've got a couple. Basically, we've done this every Becoming a Doctor. Uh, arc? And it's about interviewing a patient. If the patient is super mad or super emotional, uh, oh, things yeah. are running high, what you're supposed to do is meet them at their emotion. If they're yelling at you, you kind of you yell back and agree with them or like repeat what they're saying. Not agree, but just kind of rephrase it. And eventually that modifies their brain chemistry so where they are able to calm down and then you get to a point where you can uh build a uh kind of build a relationship and gather data and that gets you to yes. this arc the top of the arc st louis st louis arch imagine the top that's your point i've been there that's your point of alliance what in the, in the interview arc or the st louis <laughs> arch the st louis arc the arch <laughs> gateway to the west did you know that it's just as tall as it is wide Fun fact. I did know that. And and when you're oh. looking down from the top, you're kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So you, the, you at the bottom of the St. Louis arc on the, le- arch on the left is building a relationship gathering data. At the top, you're at the point of alliance. The patient trusts you because you've kind of okay. diffused the situation. You've put in the hard work. And then when you're going back down the arch or the psychiatric interview arc, you, you're giving them their treatment plan, and they trust you, right? Yes. And we have learned about this in Becoming a Doctor 1, Becoming a Doctor 2, Becoming a Doctor 3. And I like the arc, right? I think it's a cool thing. It's a cool tool to have if you have a patient yelling at you. Yeah. But here's what I don't like. Uh Uh-oh. This arc is not just like a national standard, psychiatric standard for interviewing patients or anything like that, right? This Mm -hmm. is literally created by three psychiatrists at the University of Minnesota. And they not only are teaching it for the first time, they're using us as test subjects, and oh. they just published uh, an article in April 2021 about the Minnesota ARC, the psychiatric ARC. And, no way. Yeah, and, and basically they're like, this is great, students loved it, blah, 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 blah. And this was not an opt, I couldn't like opt out of this, if, like, oh, I don't want to be part of this study, and I don't want to learn about this. This was a required session each week. Um, and so for the first, this is an hour session becoming a doctor. And for the first 20 minutes, they just had us talk on loud, like how we've used the arc in the past year. And it was just like, we didn't learn a dang thing. And I just listened to like three or four of my patients tell a story. So that wasn't helpful. 
Then the second 20 minutes, they put us in small groups in Zoom, and we had to recall a scenario where you observed your judgment of the patient interfering with your care. So then we just had six people in the Zoom room, and I had to talk about it when my biases or judgments interfered with patient care. More anecdotal stuff, right? 20 minutes. So that's 40 minutes into an hour-required session. And then the last 20 minutes, they just reviewed the Minnesota Arc, their creation. They made it up. They are teaching us. They are gathering data from becoming a doctor. And then they're publishing about the Minnesota Arc and how great it is. Yikes. Uh, I wasn't aware. I, I do remember learning about the arc and becoming a doctor part two. Right. When I attended last winter. And like I like, I don't know, you probably thought the same, right? It's not like that, that bad an idea. No. Yeah. You know, it gives you more structure. Kind of makes sense. But it's an example of the, we had an hour recession and the reason it was so bad is because we just did anecdotal stuff for 40 minutes and we learned just the same thing we learned in week one and week two, the last 20 minutes. So, And, and why is it why is this a bad setup? And because it's just made up by the Minnesota curriculum team. It's made up by three psychiatrists, and I'm sure they're all talented psychiatrists individually. Because well, I know one of them is. I doctor, worked with Doctor uh, Wixer. She was awesome psychiatrist. But when they're making up their own curriculum and they're teaching us, and then they're getting the data and publishing, it's bound to be a bad learning session, right? It's not about teaching right. us. It's about gathering data for their own publication. <laughs> Is right. that the purpose of becoming a doctor that the, the our faculty can get publications? Uh, it might be. Truly, I don't know what the <laughs> stated goal of becoming a doctor week is. At the end of that, I at the end of that session, I was like, <laughs> they were like, "This is going to be a really good education experience." Nice. <laughs> And when I was looking up things to talk about for this review of becoming a doctor, I saw that they published this. This is a brand new thing by them. I just found it, yeah. Yeah. In April. In April 2021. And that just made me feel about becoming a doctor. Oh yeah, here's the here's the model. You're looking at it, right? Yeah. Building a relationship, point of alliance, treatment planning. Yep. And let me let me read you. The last paragraph of their article. Due to the preliminary nature of this study, there are several notable limitations. The sample size, like the sample of students that responded how great this was, was small, N of 19. (laughs) And they required every student to go to it, which limits the generalized... uh, How do you say that? Generalizability? Generalizability? Of this data. Feedback from students... Uh, was self-assessed without an external assessment of change in the interviewing skills. Although not reported by participants, given that this educational session occurred while students uh, were on rotation, there may have been perceived pressure to participate. (laughs) So their whole article is based on becoming a doctor. Hmm. And uh, that's my my one example of becoming a doctor week. Right, it's made up curriculum, and every once in a while you're going to strike gold. I I will sandwich becoming a doctor review with a good one. Let's hear it. But the majority of them, you're going to strike out because you're making up your own curriculum. And these psychiatrists, guess what? They didn't go into school to become prof- like faculty teachers, right? They went to school to become psychiatrists, not to teach lessons in becoming a doctor. <laughs> 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 but isn't all curriculum made up? 
Yes, all curriculum it. is made up, but Santana, if this was an open market, I would have the choice what curriculum to, to go to and what to choose, right? If this is if I show up and the first five minutes are terrible, I should be able to log off and, and go watch some online med ed. Mm. That's how an open market works. It doesn't exist in the University of Minnesota. I'm learning so much. Okay, do you want to sandwich this becoming a doctor? What am I? Yeah, I would love to Review. sandwich it. Let's okay. sandwich it up. So that so what was the bread of the sandwich? What was the bread? Yeah. Oh, wait, I'm doing the sandwich? No, no, I'm what doing is- the sandwich. <laughs> this analogy this analogy makes me feel like this. <laughs> this is what I- you give feedback to somebody about something. No, I know, I know how it works. You do a compliment that's something uh, like... You yeah, know, but you started off with the bad things. <laughs> I know, so. I'm sandwiching with bad things because that oh, was... Oh, so the, now we're going to the bread? Now we're going to the... No, now we're going to the meat, <laughs> the good thing. Okay, well, you tell me. <laughs> I guess the bread was that uh, you didn't learn anything yeah, exactly. new about the Minnesota Ark. Exactly. Now, the the meat of the sandwich, the middle of the sandwich, I'm going to talk about an uh, one of the... the um... I think you're using the sandwich <laughs> metaphor wrong. <laughs> I know. But... You're supposed to do compliment, constructive criticism, compliment. Yeah, yeah. I can't do it with becoming a Dr. Three. Oh, so it's like a, Const- a reverse sandwich. Yeah, exactly. Constructive criticism, compliment, constructive criticism. Okay, and my, I see. And my constructive criticism would be for becoming a doctor, make it optional. I mean, overall, that would be the part one of the sandwich. Part two, okay. the good part, there we were another required was structural racism in health. And, okay. you know, even if it's kind of disorganized or, you know, put on by University of Minnesota faculty, I think it always is a good reminder of the structural racism in health, right? Because it, you know, uh, institutionalized racism affects everything in America, including mm-hmm. health, including medical school. And um, I thought it started off in the on a great, the, so the hour started off on just a great note when they remembered George Floyd and other kill, persons killed by police br- brutality. And they did like a moment of silence, right? Yeah. Um, and this was just a good reminder of what's important and what's not important, right? And then the rest of it, they basically talked about um, critical race theory. Um, and critical, you know, we've heard, you hear that all the time in like news. CRT. CRT, yeah, news stories, med school. So I wanted to give you the definition. The core idea is that race is a social construct and that racism, racism is not merely the product of individual bias or prejudice, but also something embedded in legal systems and policies. And then they gave an example, which we've heard before. For example, in 1918, influenza pandemic, right? Black Americans died at a higher rate, less access to care, less access to hospitals um, than white Americans. And that was the exact same thing seen in COVID-19. And mm-hmm. we've, we've heard that um, that example a ton, right? And so the rest of the hour was talking about how critical race theory uh, still occurs on a daily basis in medicine. Um, do you want me to give you more examples of it, or do you have any examples off the top of your mind? Uh, in medicine, I think one that is often talked about is how is that uh, his, historically black patients get their pain is treated less effectively 
or they receive less mm-hmm. pain medications on on average than their white counterparts. Um, 100%. And, oh, keep going. Well, and I think specifically it comes up with people who have sickle cell disease, which causes symptom, uh, like constellation of symptoms that's called an acute pain crisis, basically, or acute chest, um, where they have very, very severe pain. Um, and they require people that are going through these crises require like high doses of narcotic pain medicines to not be in excruciating pain and extremely uncomfortable. And there's been uh, anecdotal stories and I believe studies, I don't have them with me on how this has historically been undertreated. Um, people have tried to make headways into it where sickle cell patients these days, oftentimes if they're connected with their PCP will have, documents in their emr that says this is my pain regimen if i come into the ed right the emergency department can look it up and be like okay this is this is the plan for this person or it's more standard right. instead of based on biases or racial exactly. prejudice or critical race theory right yep hey awesome di- job dude boom if there's CRT. A, if there's residency <laughs> a residency uh leaders out there santana's just off the top of his mind Boom. Uh, okay, so other ones was asthma rates are three times higher in black children. Um, that is not just a fact. It's based on, you can you can base that fact on critical race theory that um, all the legal and social constructs, right? Um, black people have worse housing uh, access, which means they're in parts that have more pollution. They also have less access to healthcare because of low income which is also part of just institutionalized racism. So this all affects health. And one outcome is that asthma rates are a lot, three times higher in black children, right? Yes. Um, then they talked at the end, which was really awesome, about telehealth. And, you know, mm-hmm. everything's going telehealth now, right? Headspace is going telehealth. I don't know if you know the, the app. It's pretty cool. Did you, have you heard? <laughs> I, you know what? I was doing some digging and I did learn about that. I read a great article about it. Heck yeah. A great, well written article, well researched article, yeah, is what I'd just... say. Um, but telehealth is great in some instances. And it's also um, another example how it's going to be worse for persons of color or socioeconomic disadvantaged persons because they have less access to the things that are required to make telehealth happen. Right. Um, so we talked about that for a while and, you know, I think it, uh, that this is the good stuff of becoming a doctor, right? This, this was all, it's always a good reminder to stop and think about this kind of stuff because it impacts everything. Um, and I can tell you it was like not the best organized. It wasn't the best presented because it's put on by Minnesota University of Minnesota curriculum. But if I had logged into it in the first five minutes, I would have keep, I would have kept listening and kept watching. Right, and then ten minutes in, uh, it was still interesting, so I had kept watching, um, and so good work on that one. So, so there were there were rare examples of when the week was interesting, good learning opportunity. We'll give them a Kevin's kudos for that one. <laughs> Should we have a sounder for Kevin's kudos? Probably. Uh, okay, yeah, sure. Uh, Kevin's kudos. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. All right, let's finish off the sandwich. Finish off the sandwich. This inverted sandwich. Uh, I wanted to give another example of of one of the things that were required. Opioid. 
It was called, what was the, the one called? Let me look it up. I, I had it written down somewhere. Opioid, this was required. Opioids, best practices three. And our guy, Charlie Reznikov, is part of this one, right? Of course. So we love Charlie. But this one was a train wreck. <laughs> train wreck. <laughs> it, oh, no. was, it was on Zoom. And okay. it was, we were put in a room with a standardized patient from the standardized patient, like, you know, program at the University of Minnesota. And okay. we had turns. We were six students and one standardized patient. And we had four minutes to interview the patient. And we had to go in order and talk about, like, whatever the, the, the patient scenario was, right? Somebody coming in with a new addiction. Mm-hmm. And it was just so stilted, right? You had four minutes and then I'm like, okay, signing off. And then the MD would come on and be like, okay, do you want to continue where Kevin left off or do you want to start over? And so half the time we were just like starting over with the introductions with the patient. And the patient, this was a standardized patient, they would be acting angry. We wouldn't be making any headway. Yikes. Um, and uh, listen, we're fourth years, right? I don't need to do any more standardized patients, especially if it's going to be choppy, haphazard. And I don't even have time to to do the patient arc, right? I don't even have time to build up my relationship with the patient because I only have four minutes. So, right. Um, and then uh, our patient, standardized patient, lost connection for three minutes. So then we just sat around. Oh, no. <laughs> and. The, we get in the room and we thought we were on case one and the standard patient was acting case two for a few minutes. So there was confusion there. And eventually I was like, I was the one who was like, wait, time out. Standardized patient. Get out of character. What case are we doing? He's like, we're doing case two. And we're like, oh, okay, great. Well, give us five more minutes to read about this. It was just a train wreck. <laughs> and what do they expect, right? Zoom standardized patients. Zoom standardized patient is hard enough. And then when you have to split up with six patients, you only have four minutes to talk. I mean, you know, and when you can start over and reset over and over and over. Uh, so it was just, it was supposed to be that you practice yeah. talking to somebody about their like opioid use disorder exactly. or substance use or substance use disorder. Um, there were just different scenarios. Yeah. Like, and it was, it was just bad. <laughs> Well, uh, that's not going to get a Kevin's kudos, I don't think. <laughs> I'll never get that hour back of my life. <laughs> I well, sounds like I missed a real a lot of good old fashioned learning. <laughs> Overall, people used to love this week our peers, right? Because it wasn't on Zoom, and yeah. you were doing your rotations, and you're at the hospital. Yeah. You're not seeing many of your peers, and then you had a week, everyone had a week off to come back to the University of Minnesota campus hang out, have lunches, have breakfasts, like talk in between classes and that kind of thing. And so people like just for the social aspect, right? Just like to hang out with your buds, like be in the same room after like a lot of rotations. And now it's on Zoom. I don't even know what the purpose, I mean, the purpose is to teach us stuff, but it's just so and so poorly, you know, it's hard to make an argument for it. Zoom is the worst. I think we can all agree. Yeah, we can all agree. So that's that. Submit that assignment. <laughs> Becoming Wait, a doctor. Tell me one thing that you learned. Well, I learned this. about I learned about other examples of structural uh, health racism, right? Critical based okay. on critical race theory, and I don't okay. think I could even give a good definition of what critical race theory was. It's not just individual biases or um, racism. It's based on system wide and policy wide institutionalized historic racism. Uh, right. 
So that was I, that... I think of it basically as the idea that if a system or policy, like you're saying, has a racist outcome, then that's an example of something that is racist and should be like actively changed. Like your crusade against AOA, you're using critical race theory exactly without even knowing it. Oh, to <laughs> get that out of here! Heck yeah! D- don't spoil Kevin's corner. <laughs> oh no! Okay, <laughs> segment over. Um, okay, so I have to make sure I got all the reflective assignments on becoming a doctor. Was did it contain elements of reflection, Santana? Check. Did it contain professionalism? A professional preparation. I think so. Yeah, this is a professional podcast. We got yeah, look at you. We got sounders for Pete's sake. <laughs> <laughs> did it get more professional? Did it use references as appropriate? Just in case uh, they want a reference, I will reference the publication that was on from becoming a doctor, the Minnesota Arc. It was the in academic psychiatry, twenty twenty one, April. It published April twenty sixth, and we got our guest here. Uh, and then aligned with, aligned with course objectives, duh. So that's eight out of eight points. We got our guest here. Come on, <laughs> sit down. Her name's Lisa Sudmeyer, MD, PhD, Chief of Radiation Oncology Program. Chief resident. Chief resident. Yeah, good point, good point. And then you talk into this. Hello. Oh, hold on. Hello. Try again. Hello. Greetings. Can you hear her, Santana? Yeah, absolutely. Loud and clear. Lisa, meet Santana. Santana, meet Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Santana, it's a pleasure. Great to meet you. Thanks for coming on the pod. Santana, what's your first impression of Lisa Sudmeyer, MD, PhD? Uh, my first impression? Well, she's friends with you, so <laughs> it's not a great sign. Okay. 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 Wow, wow, very nice. <laughs> All right, Lisa, thanks for joining cozy up here next to Kevin. Uh, Santana, Lisa and I have been friends. How long, Lisa? I don't even know the math. Since 2004. Wow. Santana, how long have you and I been friends? Since 2019? Barely know me. Yeah. Lisa knows so many things about me. Off-pod stuff. We can't even talk about on the pod. Nope. <laughs> Never. Not allowed. <laughs> not for doctor's ears. Okay, Lisa Sudmeyer, MD, PhD. We, before we keep going, we want to hear who you are. Like, where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to undergrad? Where'd you go to med school? Et cetera, et cetera. Okay. I grew, was born and raised in Janesville, Wisconsin, southern Wisconsin. I went to uh, Joseph A. Craig High School. And then uh, undergrad at Washington University in St. Louis, where I ran cross-country and track with the one and only Kevin Gale. Uh, Ever heard of it, Santana? (laughs) (laughs) Ever heard of it? (laughs) And then I went to medical school and graduate school for the combined MD-PhD program at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And then I went on to residency in radiation oncology. Wait, wait, don't skip over your PhD. Give I said us, I said MD PhD. I know, but give us like the main. Okay, topic. so my PhD, I was in the neuroscience training program. Um, I was funded though. I was um, on the Institute on Aging uh, training grant because I was initially studying, and well, I, I, my whole PhD actually was studying like neurodegeneration and neurodevelopment. And I guess let's see, the gist of my thesis was basically studying mechanisms of neuroinflammation induced by radiation exposure. 
That's really annoying. (laughs) (laughs) That's the pod. (laughs) It's very annoying. Yeah, it's not very good. (laughs) Who listens to this? Santana's mom and my dad. (laughs) Oh, hi, Jerry. (laughs) I'm really excited about the book. What up, Jerry? Really hoping Emmy gets a signed copy of the book. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that was... Yeah, no, so that was my P- my PhD. I got my PhD in 2015, finished my PhD in 2015. I was in Barry Ganetsky's lab in the neuroscience training program, studied neurodegeneration and neurodevelopment. Um, and then I went to Emory for radiation oncology residency, and I'm in the American Board of Radiology Holman Research Pathway, which is a um, expedited clinical residency to allow 21 months of protected research time. And so during my research time, I have focused on um, brain tumor immunology studies, essentially. So I joined an immunology lab. The um, director of the Emory Vaccine Center, Rafi Ahmed, is my mentor. And I've studied um, CD8 T cells that infiltrate uh, human brain metastases with the goal of developing novel therapies to improve control of disease in the brain. That's so cool. Uh, that's so cool. My question, I didn't, I guess I didn't know you had the 20 or how many months, 17 months of dedicated research? Well, 21 months, but I had a baby, so it became 19. Then, you know, COVID mm-hmm. shut things down, no, I slowed down my only, mice. I didn't only took two months to make a baby. Is that <laughs> is that what it is nowadays? Or? <laughs> two, two months to, I guess, prepare the baby to be without you. Um, wait a sec, but how many Radonc residents, because you went to med school, mm-hmm. and then you went to residency, five-year residency, radiation oncology. Yeah, the first year is an intern year, though. Right. But how many residents in Radonc do the program you're doing, where they get dedicated 17 months? I don't know where you're getting 17 months from, buddy. It's 21 months. 21 months. But, um, 21 months. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how many. There's probably like five to ten per year across the country that do it there's usually like one per year at programs um like major like ours it's probably like there's probably about 10 per year like usually sloan kettering and md anderson only have one emory's had one per year for the past uh four years or so three four years you know you'll go a year without one we didn't have one this year but we're having one next year again um so yeah, Stanford usually has one per year, Harvard one per year. Um, yeah. So cool. Santana, you remember Ryan Leahy, right? Of course. How also, could I forget? Also an MD, PhD. Um, and he went down that path. And, and it turns out, for in the time being, he's going to be more of a clinical um, doctor, right? So he's not going to be doing active research, at least at the beginning of his career. Right. Um, and that's one of the things I really respect about you, Lisa, that you... Um, continue to sacrifice things to kind of further public science. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 important to me. I figure if you're going to devote your life to doing something you care about, then you should try to find a niche that excites you and uh, something that drives you. And I think in oncology especially, it's really hard. Um, you know, it really is. You In radiation oncology, we cure a lot of patients. So radiation is often used as definitive treatment. Um, but we also do a lot of palliative treatments. And so especially in neuro-oncology, you see a lot of patients who um, end up dying and who have really abysmal overall survivals. And I think as an MD-PhD, that um, there's kind of that drive to do something to make it better. So yeah, it kind of helps with the, I don't know, the um, dealing with things emotionally in clinic um, that, you're, that you're seeing. Santana? Uh... That's I. That's very understandable. Um, 
I think that's a reason kind of why I, so I'm not interested in research, but that is a reason why I, um, I did consider oncology for a time, but I did think that that would kind of be something that would weigh on me. So I think it totally makes sense that you have this other kind of outlet where you are actively pushing the field forward. I think that's super cool. Yeah, it's almost like a defense mechanism, but not really because it's super productive. Yeah, I mean... It's not just like humor, like, you know, my (laughs) go-to. Do you remember your sash defense mechanisms from like 10 years ago in med school or... Just running, man, just, you know, exercising. No, 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 sash, S-A-S-H acronym. Oh, Santana? I have no clue what that acronym means. Name them off. Uh, <laughs> altruism is the A. Is the A. Hum- H is the humor. H is humor. Suppression? Sublimation. And suppression. Sublimation. Yeah. Hey, Anyways. I got two of them. Didn't know it. Um, so that's who Lisa Sudmeyer is. But that's only the, the med school phd side give us the the i mean the most important part about me is that i'm a mom and a wife and i have a 18 and a half month old daughter named emerson who's amazing and she's the joy of my life and then i guess equal joy of my life is her dad my husband jesse who I met when I met Kevin in 2004 at Washu. Yeah, she was close to dating me, but she went with Jesse instead. That's absolutely not true. <laughs> no. Very close. It was touch and go there for a second. So he's been, you know, we've been together a long time, and he's been my my rock through this whole long training pathway, and still is. And he's an awesome dad. It's been, yeah, so. They, rip. Santana, they met at Washu, and then they dated for 11 years before getting married. Uh, almost 13, 12 and a half when we got married. Um, so you're giving Santana some hope because Santana has been with the other person who listened to the pod, Francesca Pietrantonio, our roommate. <laughs> How long have you guys been together without getting married? Uh, like seven, six years, seven years? Yeah. Oh. Something like that. <laughs> you got plenty of time. Yeah. Every time you say it's only been six or seven years, Franny's always like, Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> No, she's not. <laughs> Santana, Lisa, you got a kick out of this. Oh, we only have certain time. We have like six more minutes, then you get going. Or that's fine. Okay, is. Santana is one of those couples, Santana and Franny, um, that m- maybe will never have kids. What do you think about that, Lisa? Oh yeah. I think that you know, I I was recently asked about something where I was talking about kids, and then said, you know, but it doesn't have to be kids. I think you know, finding what brings you personal fulfillment is important for having balance in life. And I, I made sure to say, you know, be it children or a hobby or a volunteer endeavor or, or something else, because some people don't even get find a partner. Right. And yeah. they're very fulfilled, you know, without having, you know, a quote other half. And I think that that's completely OK. I think it's important to to do what you want to do, to have children if you want to have children. And that's only fair to the kids. Right. If you if you have them because you want them. Um, and if you don't, then. You know, you're living the life you want to live with the person you want to live it with, and and that's completely okay. The only thing I say is that having had a child, it is truly the greatest joy of my life. But I'm not gonna, I would never push that on other people. I'm very happy for people when they decide to do it because I know what joy it'll bring them. But I, I wouldn't push it on anyone. I'm sure you and Franny will be very happy without children. You'll be able I to travel so. more. You'll be able to sleep more. 
Yep. Uh, <laughs> boom, boom. The big um, two. Yeah. So. Channel more, sleep more. Uh, wait, can you still hear yourself? I turned yourself. I turned your microphone up. Can you? Will you say check, check, check one two, Lisa? Check, check, check one two. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay. Can you? Are you good with audio? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, that being said, though, you and Jesse have never been more happy. Right. Right. But that's that's us. You know. Yeah. That's that's uh, it's how we live our lives. You know, we're very very happy this way. That's because of Emmy Santana is what I'm applying. Have children, Santana is what I'm applying. Well, that's like the exact opposite of what I was just because- gonna say, exact opposite <laughs> of what I just said. <laughs> where you shouldn't push it on people. You had great advice, a great perspective, <laughs> and then I just ruined it. Okay, that was who Lisa Sudmeyer's uh, scientists and family. Boom, boom. Uh, family scientists as well. Now we want to hear what you're doing currently um, as an MD PhD. You can talk about the research, or you can talk about the MD part. Um, so I'm finishing up my last year of residency, which means I'm currently on the job market and I'm applying for physician scientist positions. Um, so it's a little more complicated than looking for a straight clinician job because, um, I want 80% of my appointment to be protected research time so that I can have a fully functional lab, um, and to practice, um, clinically 20% of the time. Um, so that, you know, equates to about a day or two half days a week of clinic. Um, so cool. And I just finished up the last of my research fellowship um, at the end of July. And so the rest of my residency training is purely clinical. So like right now I'm on the GU service, so doing prostate, bladder, um, cancer treatments. Um, and then 10 weeks after that, I'll switch to the gyne service. And then I still have the head and neck service and the breast service to go. And then I'll be done with residency and hopefully have a job. And in that job, um, hopefully continue my, so my research program is in um, neuroimmuno-oncology. So basically trying to understand, you know, one of the phenomenons we observe clinically is that when a patient develops brain metastases, they have this drastically worse overall survival compared to having metastases at other, any other site in the body. In fact, when the early clinical trials were done for immunotherapies, which you probably know drastically improved um, cancer outcomes. Brain metastases patients were excluded from them because they had such poor prognoses that they didn't want them to skew the results of the trial. So, you know, there's now data that show that there's probably some efficacy of currently available immunotherapies in the brain, but it, it's different. It doesn't appear to be as robust. Um, we actually don't have data to, you know, directly compare efficacy in the brain versus efficacy in other organs. But laboratory work shows that the phenotype of CD8 T cells, which are the targets of immunotherapy, they're different in the brain than they are in extracranial organs. Um, And so in order to develop new therapies, I'm trying to phenotypically characterize what CD8 T cells in the brain look like um, to figure out if there are other inhibitory molecules expressed on these cells that we can um, target with um, like combination therapies to get better control of disease in the brain. Because you also have to be careful, right? You don't want an overactive immune response in the brain that then would cause encephalitis. And um, part of the oh, reason... Oh. <laughs> Lingo, what's this? What? Encephalitis, what? In, too much inflammation in the brain. So like one of the main there side effects go. of immunotherapy, one of the main side effects of immunotherapy is an immune reaction. So triggering an, uh, an immune reaction. And the brain, like as the humans evolved, the brain evolved to be a relatively immunosuppressive environment. So you don't want too much inflammation in the brain because that causes neurodegenerative diseases. Like I was studying in my PhD, so like Alzheimer's, MS, um, Parkinson's. So a lot of- ALS? ALS is different, but yes. I mean, there's an inflammatory component to that too, right? But that's at the- um, 
neuromuscular junction. Right, um, right. Speaking more about like the central nervous system where you have the blood-brain barrier protection um, and then unique, um, you know, there's the astrocyte, astrocyte contribution and other environmental factors. You can read my paper. It's on BioArchive. <laughs> um, Appropriate but, references, please. But, but the bottom line is it's a unique immune environment, what's in the brain. And the blood-brain barrier is broken down to some degree by the presence of a tumor. Um, but the blood tumor barrier is is different from, even though it's not like the blood brain barrier, it's still not as completely permissive as what we see in other organs. And so you have this interplay between the immune system that's supposed to attack the cancer and this surrounding immunosuppressive environment. And so you want to overcome that immunosuppression to kill the cancer, but you also don't want the patient to die from um, encephalitis or inflammation in the brain. So you want a targeted therapy that's going to specifically activate CD8 T cells that are specific for the tumor. That might be too much lingo. I'm sorry if it is. Say what? <laughs> no, no, that's perfect. Uh, um, and you, the reason you want a lab up and running is because you are applying this, to, this knowledge to your research and it, you already have things going in it, and you want to just continue it basically next year. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I mean, this is what I study right now. So I, my PhD is in neuroscience, and my postdoc is in immunology, and so I'm bringing expertise in those two fields together to do this science. It's a unique niche. I mean, most immunologists, most tumor immunologists aren't focusing on the neuroscience side of things. Um, even like the medical oncologist who administer chemotherapy for patients with tumors growing in the brain like those they're trained through neurology most of them come through neurology and then do a fellowship in neuro-oncology so um it, it's just a whole different training pathway to have a background in both neuroscience and immunology and being able to bring those two together uniquely positions me to address some of these questions so yes yeah, it's, it's the research program i've already started but i hope to continue as a faculty member heck yeah you know santana That's i awesome. published once I do know this. <laughs> not pretty worth, good. Pretty good. Not worth mentioning. Um, <laughs> okay, so that so first topic, who leases? Second topic, what you're doing currently? Clinicals coming up. Third topic, Santana, I didn't give her a heads up on the third topic. So I'm gonna third sp- topic. I'm we gonna ask sp- all our guests is yep. the most important one. <laughs> you got to give us a hot take, the hottest take that you've got. Right here, something right spicy now. that gets the blood pumping. Not med school or med school related, or not residency or residency related. What is that? Can be about any topic. What's spicy? A hot take? Like you know, it's like a controversial opinion like, that will make. We'll, uh, give, we'll give you some examples. Controversial opinions that get people going. The Office, not that great a show. Gets people going. Chipotle, yeah. don't mix up the ingredients. Get people going. Minnesota State Fair, terrible. Gets people going. What do you got? That's like. Man, this is going to get the blood pumping. Every time I talk to the other parents at Emmy's Daycare, they're always like, what is Lisa talking about? That is the most ridiculous <laughs> opinion I've ever heard. Um, you can brainstorm. Santana, what else have we had on the pod? Other hot takes. The hot dog is uh, the best food ever. Somebody said yeah. that once. Somebody said that cats are better than dogs. Yeah. I think was a good one. Yep, yep. I know I should have given you a heads up, but I forgot about this part. Oh my gosh! Awesome. I, and I can, I, while you're brainstorming, I can say things that you've said before that I think okay. are hot takes. Okay, give me some examples. Here are some examples because I've lived with Lisa now for two weeks and many okay. months before that. Um, here's a hot take, Santana: Don't eat carrots when they're not in season. Don't even think about buying carrots when they're not in season. He buys carrots at the grocery store. You don't <laughs> buy carrots at the grocery store. 
But here it's the farmer's I, market. If they're not at the farmer's market, they're not in season. You what, don't eat them. What do you think, Santana? I didn't even know there was a carrot season, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> See, I told you. That was, that's like the cusp of what, one of Lisa's hot takes. Here's another hot take. Uh, forget sleep hygiene. Sleep. This is Jesse and Lisa's hot take. Sleep in a house that is 75 degrees. Oh, my gosh. It's a hot take. Uh, okay. I don't. No, this is it. Winter. 68 degrees, summer, 76 degrees. What do you think, Santana? Period. Better for your body, better for the environment. I mean, for sure better for the environment. For no sure doubt better about. for the environment. The reason I say it's spicy and hot is because it's probably... Everyone wants to sleep at 68 degrees. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, so nice. <laughs> it's so nice to sleep under covers. I mean, just you don't have to have covers over you. No. I need the covers. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just going to be grumpy. Look at him. He's already a little grumpy, grumpy anyways. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, those those are those are two. I mean, don't yeah, don't eat vegetables out of season. Period. And then sixty eight, seventy six. Right. Pretty spicy. Those are my those are my hot takes. So don't eat vegetables from the grocery store. Basically, is what you're saying. I mean, unless you're tracking the seasons, you got your fall. So here's the thing: almanac. if you live in Wisconsin and Minnesota, you have no choice in the winter. Hard to do. Oh yeah. You just have no choice Hard in the to winter. Do. So. I mean, unless you unless you plan really well and buy your sweet potatoes and squash really far in advance and keep an eye on them and make sure they can get you all the way through until that first spinach appears in the spring, you're gonna like stock up like the you're old gonna be hard pressed. No, but that that is yeah, very you're true. In a tight spot. You yeah. in general, you you would say don't don't buy from a grocery store. Yeah, yeah. In general, I would say don't buy fruit or vegetables from grocery stores. Our exception is avocados and bananas. Yeah, those don't grow here. Because we're a pro banana family here. Lisa and Jesse, we are you know pro. I love my bananas. We so Jesse and I try not to eat bananas if there's a fruit in season. But Emmy pretty much wakes up every morning and wants a banana. So oh, yeah, same. Yeah, so we buy bananas and avocados from the grocery store. We all eat avocados. That that that's a pretty good take actually. But that do you have anything else that like popped in your mind when I say something controversial? Get the I was thinking it would be something about food, right? Because I mean. I mean, I think going out to eat is overrated. I don't know if that's another one. That is another one Whoa. for sure. That is very anti-American, right? Like, there's so many, especially well, so millennials. I just, I just like think Santana. a lot of. I think a lot of restaurants are so. It's just so salty. It's so salty. And if you cooked for yourself for a month, and then went to a restaurant, you'd be like, "Oh my gosh, this is so salty." So. Yeah, but that salt is delicious. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Hard to argue. I don't. That I don't argument. like saying it's overrated. There's some really great restaurants that I enjoy, so I tend not to. I don't like to really venture into making any broad sweeping statements about going out to eat. Right. Right. But. But like fresh produce for sure. Yeah. So yeah, those would be my two things. I hear Emmy whining, so I might need to go down and, okay. and do dinner with her. No problem. But you, um, yeah. You gave us 20 minutes of time. That is amazing. Yeah. Well, happy to be yeah, on. Thank Thanks so for much. including me. Thanks for joining us. Smartest guest we've had, you. no doubt about it. Easiest. Uh, yeah, by well, a huge margin. It's close with Leahy and you. I was going to say, Kevin always tells me that Leahy's the smartest person he knows, to which <laughs> I always shake my head. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, guys. See you later. Bye. Bye. All right. And I she... also have a heart out right now as well. No way. I got to go. Dude, anything else on this pod? You got to go right now. Okay, we're going to have three more minutes. Okay, three more minutes. We got to finish it. out the pod, dude. We got to finish with the pod. Okay. Kevin's Corner. We'll go. Yay! Yay! Yeah, Kevin's Corner. I will give you the, this is this is good. I only want to talk about this for a minute cuz I go on and on and on. 
You heard AOA resolution got passed. You read it. What did you think? Uh, I thought two thumbs up from this guy who got two thumbs and loved that resolution. <laughs> this guy. <Me. laughs> uh, what you said about critical race theory, right? AO, the reason why there's less persons of color in competitive residencies, one of the reasons is AOA. And AOA is steeped in critical race theory, right? Wow. Uh, yeah. That's Kevin's corner. <laughs> and Kevin did it. No, For no. The listeners, the st- student. No, the general counsel did it. Yeah, but Kevin whipped the votes. He's the president. And He's in there every every week pounding those kids. Do we need to do mailbags? Should we just table it for next week? I got to get you out of there. We got to get... You're on a tight timeline. I'm on a tight timeline, yeah. Let's table the mailbag. Yep. I know it's busting at the seams. We'll get to it, we'll guys. get to Listeners, the letters. Relax. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that's the pod then. Shout out to Lisa Sudmeyer, MD, PhD. Shout out. Shout out Thanks to for coming on. Francesco that was great. Pietrantonio. Shout out to um, Chuck Levin's Washington Music Center. Yep, exactly. Run by, what's his name? Adam? Adam Levin. Levin? Go check out the journal article from April 2021. <laughs> yeah, at Academic Psychiatry. You still got to pull check out Lisa's article. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Sounds interesting. Lisa Sudmeyer. Check, e- even better, how about, how about check out... Um, uh, go to LinkedIn and search for the creator economy. Uh, right? Yeah, check that one out. Yeah, yeah. It's called DC Moves of the Months: The Creator Economy. How the tables have turned. Uh, it's awesome. Give Keep, that a read. Give it a read. That's the pod, Santana. We did it. Another pod in the books. Eight out of one eight of the... for the assignment. <laughs> Becoming a doctor. <laughs> Give this man his honors. <laughs> all right, that's all the time we got this week. Like we say at the end of every episode, a bird bird in the the hand hand is worth worth two in the the bush. bush. Good night and good luck. (laughs) 